This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Uh, as we continue our, our series of studies uh, related to the gospel and Christ and the things that uh, the Bible teaches and the New Testament teaches in relationship or in relation to uh, our salvation and our relationship with God. And so this week, if you've not been able to be here, just uh, kind of a recap. We talked Wednesday about the pearl of great price and the kingdom of heaven, that church that God has established through Jesus Christ being the most valuable thing that you can be a part of in this world. We talked Thursday about the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for each and every one of us. The things that he went through to become that Lamb of God. And we talked Friday about the door that's open today. That invitation that Jesus is extending to all of you. And that one day that door is going to close. And it's going to be too late. This morning I want to dive in and I want to look at a story in the New Testament of a man named Paul. You probably are familiar with him. He's the Apostle Paul. And at the time in which he comes to Christ, his name was actually Saul. So don't be confused. I'm going to use the, the name Saul and Paul this morning. And I'm probably going to confuse myself at times uh, on using those names interchangeably. Uh, because this man's name was Saul until he became a Christian. And then his name was changed to Paul. But I think it's important that we look at a New Testament story of an example of of somebody that is coming to Jesus and is converting from their old ways to the ways of Christ and to see what it is that Jesus expected of him. And this is a fascinating story to me and I actually want to back up to Acts chapter 6. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26 this morning because those three chapters cover this story of Paul's conversion. But we back up to Acts chapter 6, we see a different story of a man named Stephen happening. And in this story, we're going to be introduced to our character of the morning, Saul, for the first time. So I want you to think about about what's happening here. So you've got a new church. Christ has, has sacrificed himself. He's resurrected. He taught the, the disciples for 40 days. He's ascended back up to the Father. Peter's preached that gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls are saved. You've got the church working and spreading the message of Jesus Christ and growing. And as the church is growing, so does the opposition to the church. And so the Jews still don't like the Christians, those same Jewish leaders that put Jesus to death. They don't like the Christians. They don't like the church that's growing. And so in Acts chapter 6, we have a church situation, a church problem. We don't have church problems today, do we? Well, they had a church problem in Acts chapter 6, and here was the problem. Every day they had a ministry where they were going and they were feeding the widows of the congregation. And the Grecians came to the apostles and they said, our widows are being neglected. They're not being fed. They're not being given the things that they're needed. And so the apostles get together and they go, well, how can we solve this problem? This is a problem. We need to make sure everybody's being taken care of. And the apostles say, well, we don't need to stop preaching Jesus to go make sure that these widows are being fed. So they tell the people, look out among yourselves for seven men. Pick seven men that are of good report, that are full of the Holy Ghost, that are full of wisdom. We'll appoint those men over this business of making sure the church is being served. And these widows are getting the things that they need. I believe that Acts chapter 6 talks about the first deacons being ordained in the Lord's church. Whether or not you agree with that or not, these Seven men were put in charge of an important task of making sure the church was served. One of those men was Stephen. Stephen was a man that the scripture describes as full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. 
And he's out doing the work, not just serving the widows and making sure to serve the church, but he's preaching the gospel. He's visiting about Jesus with people. And he gets into some discussions with people that disagree with him. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 9, it says, There arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and the Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. So Stephen's out doing the work of the church. He's talking about Jesus to people and he's disputing with these folks and they cannot resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he speaks. That wisdom means he's got truth, he's got knowledge, he's got the wisdom to be able to apply the truth and teach the truth and they can't resist that. But they also can't resist the spirit in which he's speaking, which I assume is a spirit of love and compassion and care and all those things that we see in good Christian people. And they can't resist that. But one of two things tends to happen when a person is convicted of truth. Either they respond to that and they say, I need to change. I need to do something different. Or they rebel against it and they stiffen up. And that's what these folks did. And so they got false witnesses. They drugged Stephen before the Sanhedrin council. They put false witnesses up there to tell lies about Stephen. And then the high priest is going to look down and he's going to ask Stephen, are these things so? Now in Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives a defense, if you can call it that. Really, it's a history lesson. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is looking at this council that holds his life in 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 their hands And he tells them about time and time again where the Jewish people rebelled against God. And God sent prophet after prophet to try to turn them back and encourage them to get back to God. And over and over again, they rejected those prophets and turned against God. And he ends his speech in Acts chapter 7 with these words. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have now been the betrayers and murderers. Now that takes some boldness. That takes some courage and some strength for Stephen to stare at this council of people that could say, you're going to die at any moment. And he says, you've betrayed and murdered the Son of God. You're just like all the Jewish people of the past who have rejected prophet after prophet, except you've taken it one step further and you've killed his son. And that's on you. As you can imagine, they didn't appreciate hearing that very much. And in verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now I want us to notice a couple of things in this part of the passage. First of all, Stephen, after he delivers that rebuke that you have betrayed and murdered the Son of God, and they look down on him and they're angry at him, but then he looks up. And you can just see him before this council of people and his head raises and he looks up into the heavens and what God allows Stephen to see is something amazing. Stephen sees into heaven and he sees God sitting on his throne and he sees Jesus Christ, the Lord that he serves, standing on God's right hand. Now what's interesting to me about this is this is the one place in scripture I've been able to find where it talks about Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
Other places talk about him sitting, him being at the right hand of God. But in this particular instance, Jesus is standing. And I don't know if there's a special significance to that, but I imagine as God is allowing Stephen to see this vision, to comfort him and strengthen him for what Stephen is about to go through with those stones being hurled at him, it's almost as if Jesus is standing up about to welcome Stephen home and allowing him to see Jesus standing there waiting for him. Regardless, Stephen looks up and he sees this image and he tells the council, he says, I see Jesus standing by the right hand of God. They're angry at that and they cry out with loud voices and they run upon him and they grab him and they drag him outside the city. And one by one, they begin to take off their outer garments and their outer garments, laid, they laid down at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. And Saul is our character of the morning. Now, they did this because it was impractical. They had layered outer garments that made it difficult to hurl large stones. So let's just be practical. And so before they committed a stoning of someone, they would take those outer garments off. And then they would select someone that they trusted and that they respected to stand there and to collect and to watch all of those garments as they stoned the person that they had decided was worthy of death. And so Saul is the person that they choose. And though he is a young man at this point, he is evidently respected enough and well thought of enough that he is the man they select to watch all their garments as they begin one by one to pick up these stones and hurl them at Stephen. And as Stephen is feeling the impact of these stones, he looks up into heaven and he cries out, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. What an amazing attitude of compassion and mercy and forgiveness as Stephen is being stoned to death simply for sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And he asks God to forgive those people that are hurling the stones. And it reminds me of the words that Jesus said on the cross as he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And Stephen is showing that Christian example here in this passage. And then he passes away. Saul, all the while standing there in approval of this killing, this murdering of this man, Stephen. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, we think about persecution a lot of times in the early church. And we think about Nero. We think about Rome. We think about some of the atrocities that Rome inflicted against Christians but the reality is before it was Rome it was the Jews and the Jews persecuted the church and persecuted Christianity and so Saul stood there approving of the death of Stephen and as you can imagine you're you've got an early church you've got people that are committed to Christ and all of a sudden one of these men that they've selected to be over the business of serving the church and taking care of the widows and all that he has been dragged outside of the city and stoned to death and if that doesn't strike fear in your heart, then you're not a human being. And that's what happened to these folks. And so these folks in the early church, they scattered. But the fear wasn't so much about turning against Christ because you know what they did when they scattered? They went and they taught Jesus in other places. And the church spread even more. But Saul, recognizing this, went about wreaking havoc in the church. He persecuted the church. A great persecution Verse 3 and 4 says, He made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now I want you to think about this for a second, because we can read through this and just not realize what's happening. But our character of the day, Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, this is a guy that was kicking doors down. 
and asking people, are you a Christian? You believe in Jesus Christ? And if they had the courage and conviction to say yes, he was grabbing them and he was dragging them and binding their hands and their feet and taking them to Jerusalem to be punished. Some of these folks were thrown into prison. Some of these folks, like Stephen, were put to death for their faith. And Saul was the guy leading this charge, murdering Christians and imprisoning Christian people, men, women, and children. I just want you to imagine for a second, because we live in such a wonderfully blessed society today where we don't face a lot of persecution. And what we see sometimes as persecution has nothing on what these folks faced. Now, is a greater persecution coming for us? It's possible. Should we have that same conviction that the early church did in saying, yes, I'm a Christian, even if it leads to imprisonment or death? Yes, we should. I just want us to recognize this situation, though. And Saul is the guy that's dragging people out of their houses, and he's throwing them in prison. But as he is on his way to Damascus to do this with some very Christians, he's going to have a spectacular experience where he meets Jesus. In Acts chapter 22, Paul is telling this story of his conversion, and he says this in verse 3. I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women." So Saul is standing here and he's delivering uh, his, his message and remembrance of, of what happened on, on that day in which he was converted to Christ. And he's talking to Jews here and he goes, look, I'm one of you. I'm an educated Jew. In fact, I was educated by Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a renowned Jewish teacher. He was a member of the Sanhedrin council in his day. And the Jews respected him. And Paul's going, look. I'm, I'm like you in that way. I'm educated. I know the old law. He says, I was zealous toward God just like you are. You want to know something fascinating to me? Saul was killing people and imprisoning people. And he said, I was doing it because I was zealous toward God. I was doing it because I wanted to serve God. I was doing it because I loved God. I thought that's what God wanted me to do. So he's throwing people in prison and murdering people because he thought that's what he should do. Because he thought Christ and Christianity was blaspheming against the old law. And so he's protecting the old law. He says, I was zealous toward God. I was trying to serve God. I was trying to be the best servant of God that I could be. And so I persecuted this way, that's the Christian way, unto the death. Verse 5, as also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders from whom I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. You know why Paul was headed to Damascus? Because there were Christian people that had been found, that had been taken and been bound, and Paul was going to pick them up and bring them back to Jerusalem so that they could be punished for being Christians. But on his way, on that road, something amazing happens. It says, It came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh into Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now imagine yourself traveling. You're on the road. You're, headed, you're, just, you're just going to work. That's all Paul's doing, right? He's doing the work that he's supposed to do. He's going to pick up these Christians and deliver them to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, on his journey, this great light shines around him and he can't see a thing. And suddenly a voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, calls him by name. Why are you persecuting me? Now he stops in his tracks just like you, and I, you or I would. That's a crazy, amazing experience. Suddenly a voice from heaven's talking to me. And Saul says, I answered, who art thou, Lord? It's a logical question. Who is it that is talking to me? 
And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Now there's a hard-hitting statement to hear. This voice from heaven, this great light that you're seeing, calls you by name, and you say, who are you? And he says, I'm the guy that you're persecuting. I'm the Lord whose servants you've been putting to death. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Paul had companions on that trip that saw that great light, but they didn't hear the voice. So this is a very personal interaction that Jesus is having with Saul at this point. In verse 10, Saul says this, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all the things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. Now I want you to know that Saul didn't argue with this voice from heaven. Saul didn't go, No, you can't be Jesus. Saul believed immediately and said, What do you want me to do? I understand. And that's an amazing experience for for anyone, I'm sure, and would have done the exact same thing. And so all he does is submit and says, tell me what you want me to do. And Jesus says, go into the city and wait there. I'm going to send somebody to tell you what I want you to do. And so his companions help lead him. Saul's now blind at this point from that great light. He can't see a thing, but they lead him into Damascus, and he waits for the man that Jesus is going to send. And so Saul's going to learn God's will for him. God sends a man named Ananias to speak to him. In Acts 22, verse 12, it says, When one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. So for three days, Saul is sitting there in Damascus blind. And then Ananias, this man that God sends to him, comes and he says, Receive your sight. And so three days later, all of a sudden, Saul can see again. And then Ananias tells him this, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Now in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, I don't have that up on the screen, but Ananias was told by God, for he is a chosen vessel, speaking of Saul, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So put yourself in the the place of Ananias for just a second. You're a Christian person. The Christians have been persecuted. This man Saul's been leading the charge. And all of a sudden God comes to you and he says, I want you to go speak to Saul, the persecutor, the murderer. Now that takes some faith. But God says, Ananias, I've chosen him. He's going to be a vessel for me. I want him to carry my message to the Gentiles. I want him to speak before kings. I want him to continue to teach the Jews. And so Ananias does. And he goes and he restores Saul's sight. And then he tells Saul, God has chosen you to know his will, to see the just one, that's Jesus, and to be his witness unto all men. And then in verse 16, he says, And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. And wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now I want us to notice that God delivered his instruction through Ananias to Saul. And in this case, for how Saul could have his sins washed away. Now was this a man in need of sins being washed away? Absolutely. All of us are. But this was a man that had been murdering people, had been imprisoning Christians. And he comes to find out that he's been persecuting the wrong people. He's been killing the wrong people. You see, Jesus is real. His message is true. Christianity is built upon the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And Saul knows this. And so he's given this instruction to get up, to be baptized and have his sins washed away. And I just want us to notice that Saul could not please God. 
He could not worship God. He could not serve God correctly until his salvation was taken care of. And the same thing is true for you and I today. Sometimes we want to serve God on our own terms. Saul was zealous toward God. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. Sometimes we get into that mindset where we want to worship, we want to serve, we want to do the things that we want to do, do it in our way, on our time. And sometimes we have to realize that we may be zealous towards God, but we may be zealous in the wrong ways. We may not be operating according to truth. We may not know what God's will truly is for us. And Saul learned that and had to submit to it in order to please God. I want you to know this morning that God has a will for you as well. Now, it's different than Saul. You don't need to expect to be on your road somewhere headed to work and for Jesus to personally start speaking to you. That's not the point this morning. This was a very special time. This was a time in which Jesus had hand-selected the apostles while he was alive here who he wanted to share his message. And the same thing is true with Saul. Jesus hand-selected Saul and said, I want you to be an apostle and I want you to carry this message out. This was before the scriptures were complete. This was a time of miracles, of spiritual gifts, all of those things. We live in a different time frame now. Jesus is not going to call out from heaven and speak to you personally. He's given you the revealed word of God. And we can know the will of God by studying the Holy Scriptures. And I want you to know what God's will for you is this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. You know what God's will is for you this morning? It's that you're a part of his family. That you have that safety and protection of being a member of his kingdom, a part of his church. That you're saved. That's God's will for you. And sometimes when it comes to salvation and and our thoughts about what does it take to be saved and what is God asking of me to be saved, there's a lot of different teaching in the religious world today about that. And there's a lot of confusion sometimes on what God expects of us in order to be saved. But I want you to know as we talk about the rest of that this morning and God's plan for salvation, just know that God's desire, his sincere inward desire for you is that you would be a part of his family and be saved. He wants that relationship with you. And I want us to recognize that Saul believed he had the truth and he was wrong. And so I want to ask all of us this morning, myself included, to be open-minded and to recognize that the things that we have been taught from an early age, the things that we have learned from other people, the things that we may have internalized and we believe and have taken as a part of our belief system may be wrong. And if I figure out and find out through studying the word of God that something that I believe to be true is wrong, what should I do? Should I rebel up against it and say, well, it's fine. I'm going to keep doing it the way that I'm doing it. It's probably okay. God's a God of love and mercy, right? He'll probably forgive me if I get something wrong. I certainly hope God forgives us if we get something wrong because I'm not perfect. And I need God's grace and mercy. But if I figure out that I'm doing something wrong, like Saul did, shouldn't I react the way that he did? He said, what do you want me to do, Lord? And he submitted to that instruction. You know, that false teaching today, some people say you don't even have to know Jesus. And there's a lot of people out there today that say that you can have salvation, you can make it to heaven, you can make it to eternity, and it's not just through Christianity, just through Jesus. In fact, whatever religion you want is fine. We live in a society today that wants to believe in relativism, wants to believe in pluralism, that all religions are okay, all belief systems are okay. Your truth is different than my truth, and that's okay. We're all going to make it to heaven. We're just climbing up different sides of the mountain, all headed to the same peak. We're going to get to the same place. 
That's what folks teach today. And I want you to know that's not what the Bible teaches. And we're going to look at that in just a second. Other times you'll hear people say, all you have to do is believe. As long as you believe in Jesus in your heart, that's all that God asks of you. Some people say, just say this prayer with me and you'll be saved. And I'm going to look as it relates to this story of the, of the Apostle Paul. And I want to look at these things and see if these things are true. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter said this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Peter had the courage to stand up and to say, there is no other person, no prophet, no religion, no belief system that can save me except to Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was talking to Saul on the road to Damascus, he did not say, pick your favorite religion. He didn't say, pick your favorite belief system. He didn't say, if you want to keep serving a different Lord, that's perfectly fine with me. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go into Damascus and I'm going to tell you what I want you to do because I am the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The reality this morning is that Saul wasn't saved because he was a part of the Jewish religion. He wasn't saved because Jesus said, do what you want and believe what you want. He was saved because he listened to the words of Jesus and obeyed them. And the same thing is going to be true for you and I. You know, those folks that say all you have to do is believe in Jesus and that's all that's required. I like to go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 verse 20 says, Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Verse 24 says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. You know, there's folks that talk about this faith only salvation. All we need to do is believe. God's not asking anything else of us. What's interesting to me is the only place in the New Testament where these two words are used together in this order is here. In James chapter 2 where it says a man is justified by works and not by faith only. The reality is God is asking of more than just belief. And the point that James is making in this passage is that when Abraham, Abraham's the father of faith, right? He's a faithful man. He believed in God. But you know what Abraham had to do? He had to back up that faith with action. He had to do works of obedience to fulfill that faith. And the same thing is true for us. So for those folks that, folks that say all you have to do is believe, I would ask you to consider the Apostle Paul in his conversion story. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 6, as Jesus is speaking to him on that road, listen to what verse 6 says. And he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Did, did Saul believe at this point? Well, you tell me. He's trembling. He's astonished. And he's calling Jesus Lord. That sounds like belief to me. That sounds like an immediate, I'm going to trust you. I'm putting my faith in you. You tell me what you want me to do, and I'm going to do it. And Jesus said, go, wait, and I'll tell you. Saul believed, but was he saved? No, he wasn't. You know, some folks say, just say this prayer and ask Jesus into your heart, and you'll be saved. That's what God's asking you to do. And not only do we not see an example of that anywhere in Scripture, this story of the conversion of Saul tells us pretty clearly that prayer does not save. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 9, the Bible tells us he, Saul, was three days without sight and neither did eat nor drink. All right, so I want us to remember he's blind after that great light. 
He's sitting in Damascus waiting for Ananias. How long is he there in Damascus? Three days before Ananias comes, all right? So you've got this blind man who's just realized that his life work in persecuting Christianity was absolutely the opposite of what he should have been doing. And the Lord of that Christian religion has spoken to him on that road and said, I'm going to tell you what to do. And he's sitting there for three days after persecuting people and killing people. What do you think Paul was doing for those three days? Well, we don't have to guess. Verse 11 says, The Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, what was Saul doing? He prayeth. Now, I'm not one to like to read between the lines in Scripture a whole lot. I think we should just take the Scripture what it says. But I'm just going to ask you to read between the lines a little bit. What do you imagine he's praying for? What do you think was included in those prayers? If it was you, and you were imprisoning people, knocking doors down, dragging them out in the streets, putting chains on them, throwing them in prison, stoning them, killing them, and then realized that what they believed was true and that you were in the wrong what would you be praying for? I'll tell you what I'd be praying for. I'd be praying for forgiveness. I'd be praying that God would forgive me and have mercy on me for the atrocities that I've committed against him and his followers. But for those three days as Saul is sitting there and he is praying what I believe to be prayers of forgiveness and mercy, you know what he's told by Ananias? What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. Did you know that that belief that Paul had didn't save him? Did you know that the praying for three days didn't save him? You know what saved him, what washed his sins away? Being obedient to the will of God, getting up and being baptized for the remission of his sins. And when he did that, he was saved. His sins were washed away. He was a new creature. And what's amazing to me is that this man who was a persecutor of the church, who murdered people because they were Christians, God used him for great things. He became an apostle and an evangelist. He went on missionary journeys, at least three of them that we know, probably more. He established congregations in lots of different areas. He trained other people in evangelism. We know Timothy and Titus and many others that worked with Paul were trained by him. He wrote about half the New Testament that we read today, 13 of the New Testament books, 14 if you include Hebrews. Paul wrote those, this same man that killed Christians and threw people in prison. And he himself would go to prison for his faith multiple times and then eventually would be beheaded for his faith. But he stayed faithful to God and to his Lord Jesus Christ through all of that. And despite his past, despite his mistakes, his sins, the atrocities that he had committed against Jesus Christ, Jesus still used him. Jesus wanted him. Jesus desired a relationship with him. Jesus washed his sins away and then used him for great and wonderful things. And I want you to know this morning that that same thing is true for you. God wants you to be saved and you may be in the crowd today and you may be thinking about the mistakes of your past and the sins that you've committed and the things that you know that God is not pleased with. And I want you to know that all of those things, though they be sin and though there's a consequence worthy of death for those things, Jesus is offering to take that from you and to take it for you. He still wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to use you in his kingdom just like he used Paul to do good and wonderful things to improve the lives of people here and ultimately to share eternity with him. God wants that with you just like he wanted that with Saul. 
In Acts 26, 19, Saul is standing there, Paul at this point, before King Agrippa. And he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed first of them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Paul said, look, I was told what to do and I was not disobedient to it. I said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. And he said, I tried everything from that day on to do what I needed to do, to do what Jesus asked me to do. He said, I was not disobedient. You know, some folks will look at this story and they'll say, well, see, God chose Saul specifically. He didn't have a choice. He was being controlled. Some of that uh, Calvinist influence and doctrine. And I'm telling you, Saul had a choice. He could have been disobedient. He could have said, no, I'm not doing that. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to obey. And he used his free will to say, I'm going to choose to follow you. And when he did that, God blessed him and used him. And then we see the end of Paul's life. After all of the amazing things that he's able to do, this is the perspective that he has. As he's writing to the evangelist Timothy in the last letter that we have in the New Testament from Paul. This was pretty soon before his death. He said, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. How is it fair that Paul has this mindset? This guy imprisoned Christians. This guy stoned people. This guy looked at Stephen, the scripture describes as a man who was full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and he said, yes, stone him. How can this man feel this way? Because that's what Jesus will do to a broken life, to a life that's not dedicated to him. He'll come in and he'll change us and he'll help us to be different. And this Paul was a far cry from the Saul of the old days that said, yes, stone him. This man had been changed. This man was different. And at the end of his life, he didn't face death with fear. He faced death with joy and anticipation. And he said, I know that there's a crown that's waiting for me. And if my time is now, if I die today or tomorrow or next week or next year, I'm ready. Because I've fought the fight. I've done what I could do. I've run the course. I've done everything that God's asked me to do. I've tried to be as obedient to it as I could. I've done everything that I can do. And I know that that crown is waiting for me. And not just for me but for everyone else that will love Jesus and look forward to his appearing as Paul did. You want to know how Paul was able to do that? It was with this mindset. Philippians 3.13, he said, Brother, and I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what Paul had to do? He had to put his past behind him. He had to say, yes, I've made mistakes. Yes, I've sinned against God. Yes, I've done terrible things in the name of God. But I'm going to put those things behind me. And I'm going to push forward. And I'm going to look towards that mark. I'm going to look towards that place where Jesus has promised that he'll take me. And I'm going to keep working towards it. And this morning, you may be in a spot today where you recognize the sins of your past. And the things that haunt you. And I want you to know you're not alone in that, first of all. All of us have things in our past we regret. All of us have things that haunt us. Decisions and choices, words that we've spoken, things that we've done. That we regret, that we wish that we could take back, just like Paul. But I want to encourage you to do what he's done. Put those things in your past and press forward. 
press on. Trust in Jesus Christ with your salvation. Trust that he'll give you that crown of righteousness in the end if you're obedient to him. And I want you to know if you'll do that, if you'll submit to him, if you'll give your life to him, then God will use you just as he used Paul. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ, that kingdom, and the different people that are a part of that. And it says, For the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Or if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And I want you to know that if you will give your life to Jesus Christ, he will place you into his church. He will save you, and he will use you. And we need every single person in this world that will listen to this message to join this message mission and this cause for Jesus Christ. And no matter what we have done in our past, you may be a Christian person sitting here this morning that's still not fully engaged, not fully a part of what's happening, not helping the congregation here to fulfill the mission. And I want to encourage you to get up today and to say, I'm going to help. I'm going to be a part of the body. I'm going to engage. And don't let your past stop you. Put those things behind you as Paul did and say, I'm going to press toward the mark. I'm going to do my best to be obedient. I'm going to be faithful. And am I going to make mistakes? Sure, but I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep trying. And if you'll do that, you'll be a part of that body, a useful, effective part. You can impact the lives of people in this world to give them a better life, not only here, but ultimately in eternity with Jesus. God can use you for great and wonderful things, but you have to be willing to work for him. He said, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Is that you this morning? Are you willing to give your life to him, to allow him to save you, and to go to work for him, to be a part of the mission with him, to be a part of this congregation or another congregation that's active and it's trying to make a difference in this world? I want you to know if you're willing to do that and to give your life to Jesus Christ that the reward is great. In John chapter 14, 1 through 3, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And that's a promise from Jesus to every single one of us that accepts the gospel, that is baptized into him, has our sins washed away, and works for him as a laborer in his vineyard. If we'll give our life to Jesus, he says, there's a place prepared for you. And as I think about this passage, I think about the place that he has prepared for the Apostle Paul. And I wonder how close that place is to the place that he's prepared for Stephen. Because one of the amazing parts of this story to me is that interaction between those two men where Saul said, yes, stone him. They're both going to be here. They're both going to be here. And they're going to share in the glory of heaven for eternity together. And so this morning, it doesn't matter where you are today what you've done today, what you've approved of in your past. Start today to fulfill the will of God for you. Be saved, allow him to wash your sins away. As Ananias told Saul, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Calling on the name of the Lord, I'd give you the same encouragement this morning. What are you waiting for? Get up today if you've not given yourself to him. Be baptized and have your sins washed away. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.